The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah soft made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Um, you can, well, you can kind of see me. If you go to YouTube, P.S., my guest looks gorgeous. Me, no makeup as usual, but whatever, I... I like to kind of keep it real. I'm usually in a rush while I'm getting ready to to record these podcasts. It was the holidays. I have been off from recording for a few weeks, hoping I'm not too rusty. But I do have to talk to you about something. Um, my passionate love affair with football and and TCU is now it's on fuego. Uh, my nephew will be playing in the college championships. Uh, I already told my guest about it who lives in Texas and probably is mortified by my passionate love for TCU football. They will be playing here in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium by the time this comes out. I'm hoping that they will be the college champions of all college football and beat Georgia, but we don't know. You will be listening to this in February. I do want to tell you I'm I'm like a month out from recording, but there's a couple of things I do want to say. Uh, my my chapter in my book, her badass story, will be out by the time you listen to this. So you all, I will be posting stuff about that on my Instagram and my website and links to be able to purchase it. I'm also starting my own book. 
I'm also going to be starting my speaking engagements in the new year. So there's pretty cool things going on for your friend, Megan Judge. We've all been put here for a reason, and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. I do want to introduce my guest, Elaine Mingus. I found her actually through, I think, like a message board or something like that. It's always interesting how I find my guests. And I immediately knew from her story that she had briefly posted that I needed to have her on. Elaine is a former heroin addict. She's a recovered bulimic. She is the mother of seven children. And she is also a speaker, and she's running for Mrs. Texas. Not impressive at all. Elaine, welcome to Judging Megan. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, absolutely mortified. I absolutely am joking because I know nothing about football. I, Like I said before, I am a Friday Night Lights girl, but I only went to the football game for the after party. So yeah, the after party. <laughs> that's and about the, as all as I know. Yeah, the after football. party and the cheerleaders. But now the problem is, is... I think my sister's mortified for me to even come to the game because I know all the players' names. I feel like I think I know the rules of football, but my husband's like, you still don't understand. Sit down and shut up. I go insane during the games. And it's very, it's a whole exciting new world for me, not to mention the fact that I do need to tell you, my nephew is one of the best kids, and he fought so hard to be able to be in the position that he's in. And he's a perfect example of somebody that what I talk about all the time is to keep going and follow your dreams and, and never give up. And he is a perfect example of somebody that did just that. So I'm even more proud of him for that. Um, Elaine, let's talk a little bit about you and where you're from. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. I know you're from Texas, but I want to hear more about your growing up. So I grew up in a fairly well-to-do family, kind of didn't want for anything. We lived in the Houston area until I was about 10 years old. And then at that point, my dad, who worked in Houston and continued to work in Houston, wanted to move us out of the school district that we were in because it was known for its high drug use. And he was just like, this is not something I want, you know, my almost teenage girls walking into. So he moved us to this small Texas town that had a Winn-Dixie. And um, I think finally when we got a Walmart, it was like the thing. So, you know, we didn't really have a lot to do. So it's funny because my story ends up as I'm a heroin addict. So the very thing that he feared and was trying to keep me from, it still found its way into my heart and life. That is, I think that's something that obviously you know what's going on in our country and the statistics of heroin addiction, but 
it's crazy to me that that's not, well, I also have younger kids, but it's not even, it's very, I think I'm very Pollyanna about thinking about that stuff. Um, just being in the outskirts of Los Angeles, I would, I, that is so scary that your dad had to think about that. Like that must've been very, um, it must've been all over the place in Houston. And I never even knew that. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, we there was definitely different districts, and mm-hmm. some were, you know, the Fifth Ward, which is, you know, a little darker in and the drug use and a, you know, scary place you wouldn't want to go after you know certain dark. But then you also had the like ultra rich elite people who were in, you know, into cocaine and mm-hmm. the higher, exp- more expensive drugs that you just, you know, was still really, really dangerous and in a whole different way, but basically in the same way too. Well, it's scary. I mean, I've done episodes about the fentanyl crisis and how scary it is. And then I I am aware of, you know, we live in Los Angeles. It's near a port. It's very, it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic income is. If drugs are going to find you, they're going to find you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's just certain personalities, I think that tend to want to walk on the edge and find and look for things that are fun. And they're constantly looking for that next dopamine rush and they're willing to do crazy things to find it. So tell me about like growing up, once you moved, you were in a really small town Were were you happy? Did you have a good childhood? It sounds like your parents were involved. Tell me a little bit about that. So my mom was very involved in my childhood. She was a PTA mom, you know, would bring me lunch when I was wanting like special diet food, um, you know, baked potatoes. Cause you know, when you go to lunch, it's just like, you know, chips and, and cinnamon rolls. And she was just, you know, bent over backwards to do anything for us. And um, when I was growing up, she was kind of known as the mom that would, you know, we could all go to the house and hang out and she would bring out the, you know, cheese and crackers type of thing. So she was very involved. My dad was a great dad in the sense that he was available and he made money for the family, but he also kind of tended towards being a workaholic and um a little bit of an alcoholic had a a little bit of a problem there and it didn't look like the typical typical alcoholism that um, you see on tv it was more like he would not drink and then for a couple days he would drink really really hard and then not drink and so he was like this really high functioning person that just was able to complete a lot but then really just when it when he got overwhelmed, it, he just, you know, would, you know, fall into that place where it just, and I've been there myself as an adult where you're just like, I'm pushing, 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 and then I break. And so I think that I very much take after his personality. And so, you know, as a child, I kind of, you know, it was, it was, I was always looking for his attention because he was always so involved with work and he, he gave me attention, but um, it, you know, with a kid and I have seven kids myself, it's really never enough. And, you know, so you have your kid brain that doesn't understand and your adult brain that totally understands. And then they come together at some point and you're like having to, you know, clean up the mess of like, yes, I understood, but I was a kid. And so, um, you know, there's some times that I think with my dad, he just uh, was not as present as I would like. And I think that's where when um, we were in the small town, we went to a small town church and one of the ways that the guy who in the and the the youth pastor at the church I was attending was able to get an in was by talking to me 
and and asking me questions about, oh, so how about your dad? Like, oh, poor you. He's not talking to you. He's not paying attention to you. And he kind of just groomed me that way where I felt like, oh, someone's paying attention to me. That's a male figure. And he was able to kind of sink his claws into me and um, do what he wanted. And I was really, really, really young. And he was way old enough to know better. And uh, so, yeah, so that kind of took, you know, that was my, so that was around 11. And that took that, so it was probably like two years after we moved to the small town. And then that took me down a deep, dark path where I became bulimic. I got into drugs, you know, it was promiscuous and all those things um, that, you know, my dad wanted to, to save me from. So that makes sense that that was the trigger that kind of started the whole cycle of addiction. And, and you know, I, I myself am a recovered bulimic. I talk about it. Um, it. it when you are abused or have been through abuse, it's very common, you know, to, to want to turn and find some kind of band-aid that sadly is not going to really work in the long run. Right. Tell me, tell me, yeah, so, so tell me about like what initially, like what was your experience with um, going down the whole, the rabbit hole of, of finding heroin or or am I skipping ahead too far? I, yeah, I mean, there's probably a little bit in between that I could let you know. Go ahead. Um, my, my situation where I was groomed by an adult and was eventually found out. And so my dad found out and he didn't respond the way that would have been a protective way. He kind of lashed out at me, didn't, you know, sent the man home. And at that point when I should have been like scooped up into arms Mm -hmm. and said, it's okay, you know, you're just a baby. This was a grown man. He should have known better. I was kind of um, made to feel like it was my fault. And I, you know, I mean, you're 11. I mean, I have an 11 year old. They're like completely clueless. And so my mom took us to the church and we confronted the, you know, the head pastor and the youth pastor had gone to the head pastor and kind of wove this story to everybody that would listen, how he was the victim and that I had seduced him, which is absolutely, I mean, it just, that's that's impossible. How old was this man? How he was a man you're saying? He was a man. He was uh, 19 or 20. And you were 11 years old. You were 11. I was 11. And I, you know, I'm, no, I had no experience. I wasn't sexually, I did, you know, I was a baby. I was watching Muppet Babies. Like, this is not somebody that knew things about sexual, you know, sexual things or even, you know, thought that way. And so when I was sitting, I'm sitting in the chair at this church and listening to this pastor tell me how it's my fault that this happened. So on top of my dad telling, you know, kind of having the wrong response when, when it was discovered, but this pastor situation was also confirming it's your fault. You, it's, you did it. You're the woman, you're the slut, you it's, it's all, it's all in you. And so I was horrified. I remember walking out of the church in the breezeway and my mom says, why don't we go to the police? And I said, mom, please, I cannot do this anymore. 
I just want to hide it. I, I am, I'm, I just, let's not, please, please, please. And I like tears just, you know, begging her not to, to go to the police. Um, and she said, okay, we're just going to drop it. It's fine. Um, and she was very sympathetic to me, very loving towards me, but, um, you know, I mean, she's, had never had that happen. She didn't know what that was like. And so looking back, I wish we would have gone to the police, but I don't fault her at all um, for that situation. Because when come down the line, I was actually found out that he was working as a coach at a school in the Houston area and was arrested for doing the exact same thing to the girls on the volleyball team that he was coaching. And so he, because it wasn't his second conviction, it was his first conviction because I didn't go to the police. Then again, I felt extreme shame for not, you know, like it's my fault. It's my fault that he's not in jail where he belongs because I didn't come forward at that point. And so, you know, just all that, just coming down on me, feeling so much shame and guilt and, you know, just, and it's so confusing because you're like, well, I mean, I, maybe I did, maybe I did, maybe it was my fault, you know? And so you go into this like kind of rabbit hole in your mind and then you're feeling, like you said, every, bulimia and all this is, it's just a coping mechanism. It's just a, a, a bandaid to help you feel um, better about the situation. And, you know, we know so much now about dopamine and how things are triggered. You know, there's that constant, like I'm, my, my dopamine's low. I'm going to, I'm going to, beef it up by, you know, scrolling, binging and purging is another way to get dopamine. You know, I mean, there's tons of ways that we're just like, we're constantly like little rats just trying to get these dopamine rushes. And I, you know, because of what happened, my dopamine levels and, and my, my levels were just, you know, all the way off. And, um, can I, and I just think say also one thing, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but number oh, one, I just want to say how very, very sorry I am. Like, I'm a mom, too. I have little girls. I have a 12-year-old, almost 13. I cannot imagine what that was like for you in your little 11-year-old body, not understanding sexuality, number one, not be, like being groomed, but then be, going to the head um, pastor and being gas, have it being gaslit like that. I mean, it's like all these layers of betrayal I don't know what your relationship is with your dad today I don't know if it was like his intention it maybe it was misunderstanding not understanding how to cope the pain of feeling like he probably couldn't help or his hands were tied I don't know what that would have been like but I just my heart is broken because thinking about it like that you were asking for help and going for help from a figure in, in your church and being told it was your fault is it just breaks my heart. And it, and it makes me really, really angry more than anything else because this is common. Absolutely. This is common. Yeah, absolutely. And so from that point in my life, I, you know, I became bulimic you know, to kind of cope with mm -hmm. the sexual abuse mm -hmm. and got dangerously thin. And, but then on top of that, you know, it's, there's a place where, you know, it, it's never enough. That hole, that, that hole inside of us is never enough. It's never filled enough. 
And so then I added on, you know, cigarettes and then alcohol and then drugs. And I just kept leveling up, you know, and it's like, it, it just is like that. Like if we're going to level up, we're like kind of geared that way to level up. And if we're going to level up, whether it be good or bad, you know, mine was just on the, the wrong track. And so I was selling drugs and then moved to, um, but all the while, uh, graduated as a National Honor Society student and graduated in three years um, because I really wanted to get out of the house <laughs> and live on my own. And so no one could kind of figure out like, I mean, here's this girl, she, we can tell something is wrong. And we, we know all my friends knew all the things about me, but I'm functioning at this really, really high level um, making straight A's, you know, and doing all the things, being on, you know, writing for newspapers and going, you know, just doing all the things. And so when I moved to Austin is when it really kind of took even a darker turn. And um, I was, you know, I found the, the baddies to hang out with and they introduced me to heroin and needles. And I, so I was shooting up heroin, I was shooting up cocaine, um, I was, you know, mixing them together. And how old were you at this point? I was eight, 18 by this time. And um, I, you know, so right when I was almost 19, uh, I think it was, I just turned 19, is when I kind of had this sense something is change. Like something is going to happen. Like I had this like, like a premonition mm -hmm. that something is going to happen and it's going to be big and it's going to change my life. And I actually wrote a diary entry about it. And um, after I wrote this diary entry, I popped a hit of X, got in my car, drove around and I was a writer and I've always been a writer. And I um, thought, well, I'm going to go get a Bible because I'm writing a book that's kind of apocalyptic and I need to do research because that's what good writers do. Mm. And I don't have a Bible. And so I went into this little small church and I was dressed like the bride of Satan. I had this black leather corset on, this big black tutu. I had a black veil on, blood red lipstick and walked in and scared the bejesus out of these two tiny little women and demanded a Bible. And they went in the back and I'm assuming they were scared of me and prayed and didn't want to, want to be left alone with me. And uh, when I was in that church, I had this desire to go into the chapel. And so I kind of shook the chapel doors. And when I did that, they were locked. And I thought, that's blasphemous. Like who locks the church? Like this is like the place where we're all supposed to be able to go into. Yeah. And I walked, um, when they came back, I asked them if I could go pray in the chapel and they said, um, well, okay. And, you know, they opened the door uh, and um, I walked in and when I walked in, I saw the crucifix of Jesus. And at that moment, I just knew I was home. I knew everything that I had been searching for, all the drugs, all the sex, all the whatever that I had been putting in this hole wasn't working. And yeah. that was, and so that's just kind of where I just, I mean, everything changed. Um, and my life is just from then. I mean, we, I had some bumps and bruises. I had to get over my eating disorder, I had to go to eating disorder therapy, um, had just miracle upon miracle. But after the moment, the one thing that did immediately drop from my life was the addiction to heroin and which I've from over and over, I've heard police officers and just say that that just doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm and, shocked um, to but hear the other that. Things I had to struggle with. 
Yeah, I'm shocked to hear that because usually yeah. when you're doing heroin, it, you can't get off of it. It's very. Yeah. So do you think yeah. that's I, I some didn't even kind at the of, time realize how amazing it was. I was just wondering, yeah. that's got to be some so kind realize- of like weird divine intervention or something. It absolutely was because I didn't realize how big of a deal it was until, you know, later on. But the, I just, when you have the answer that you're looking for, you know, like they talk about the fake dollar bills, like bankers always are dealing with real money. And so when they see a counterfeit, they know it's a counterfeit. But I had been like looking for that real money the whole time. And when you realize you're just like, you take that counterfeit and you just, throw it away. Like it, it's, you don't even want it. It, it had no place anymore. Um, and I did have to struggle through and like give up cigarettes. And that was probably really hard, you know, give up, you know, marijuana and, and stuff that was like a little bit like softer. Um, but it was still not, I mean, relatively easy, you know, because I had the answer to my question. But how did you, like, how long were you actually using, you were using cocaine, heroin, ecstasy? How, how long of a period were you using? So I graduated high school when I was 17. I graduated in three years and um, immediately went uh, on a backpacking trip to Europe where, it, you know, it just, you know, my drug use and my and my alcohol use just increased probably tenfold. I mean, it was already insane, um, but it was, you know, and then I probably pretty soon after that, when I went to Austin, um, met some people and we just, I mean, just anything we could get our hands on too. So probably a good two years. Wow. Um, or, you know, at least a, with heroin, probably a good year, a good year. So probably before that, it was just um, cocaine. And then we added heroin on later on. You're so lucky that you, that, that doesn't happen. That does not happen. So that's a mere, I mean, I believe in miracles. That's definitely a miracle. So tell me what yeah. it was like yeah. once you kind of had that realization and, got your life back what what happened then I mean you're a mother of seven kids so that in itself is a book that yeah, I'm ready so to read because I can't even take care of two two is hard two uh, I, when I'm left home with two babies uh-huh. uh, I don't know how to handle it they the, the it's big it's like having a a school group or some sort of you know they kind of work as a pack when there's so many of them when there's two of them they're just rogue agents everywhere yeah so uh but after that, so I mean, I, I just dove into reading the word and going to church and surrounding myself with people who were, you know, looking to improve themselves, not just spiritually, but also like build businesses and um, have amazing relationships with their parents and go to therapy and work through all the stuff that, you know, had happened trauma in their past. And so I went through, you know, I went through therapy um, and then I met my husband at church and um, we, uh, I didn't, I didn't think he was the, you know, like the bee's knees at the beginning. Um, and but at some point, he became my total knight in shining armor, and I am so lucky to have him. And then we got pregnant. Uh, we got pregnant, and um, you know, just when I, we got married, and then you know, we had our first baby, and we just for 14 years. I was pregnant or nursing straight for 14 years. Oh my gosh. And so, uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been a, a wild ride. Um, and some of that in, and it, you know, it's not all, you know, roses after that because, because of, like I said, I came from a very well-to-do family and actually my father was a, a millionaire 
And um, I, uh, at least in business, <laughs> um, and we saw, we had it in the house, you know, but it was like, it was like he won it, a lawsuit, became a millionaire. And, did I say billionaire? I didn't mean to say billionaire. Millionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, won a huge lawsuit. And, but, you know, I didn't, it didn't click that we were as rich as we were. Um, because we didn't live like Kim Kardashian lifestyle. We just, I mean, we were in a small town. We, we did have a big house in the small town, but you know, it's still a small town. <laughs> um, and when I got married, I married somebody whose mom had always been on welfare. He, when she was pregnant with her five boys, they slept in the bottom drawer of their dresser. Um, her, when it rained, the rain leaked on the bed in her bedroom. And so they had to go run up and put a tarp over the hole in the roof. And so those two type of lifestyles and understanding of like how money works colliding was really kind of just, um, just a place in my life that like, I'm thankful now that it happened, like a collision that happened because I don't think I would have understood the other side mm-hmm. of, of poverty. Um, my dad told me dream big, you know, work hard and everything will, you know, will happen. The American dream. His dad told him, you know, crap in one hand and dream in the other and see which one fills up first, which is a horrible thing to tell a child. Basically don't dream. It's not worth it. Nothing ever comes good of it. Money is the root, you know, all evil. Yeah. And so we spent a huge portion of our adult life while having children on welfare and government assistance. And which I realize now that is, was just an amazing, I mean, really amazing that our, that our system, as much as people, you know, grocheted on the government, like the fact that we have these programs available for people that need them mm-hmm. is we live in such a great society that has a great infrastructure and with all of its woes and ills, um, you know, it does take, it does have some really, really good positive benefits. So we were able to have all these babies and not go into extreme amounts of debt. We were able to put food on the table. Um, but it was very shameful because I mean, as somebody who was taught to work really, really hard, I'm here busting my butt and getting college degrees and, you know, holding down jobs. And it just doesn't seem to be, you know, I can't get a leg up. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D 
MD at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And, um... And I was at the point, like, it was a long time ago. So uh, my daughter is eight, almost 19. So about 19 years ago, you know, it's the time when you had food stamps or WIC was like these coupon cards that were like long, like you'd like <laughs> flick them out like a scroll. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it was, I was, I mean, it was so shameful to have to pull those out. And well, I can't now imagine they have, like, nice what it would be like. And sorry to talk over you to come from no, go a, ahead. Come from an affluent background, and then to be in those shoes, that that in itself would be really, really difficult, really hard. Yeah, and to it was. be a mother and, you know, and have all those kids. Yeah, so so you were pulling out the the cards, and what happened? Well, I mean, there are some times that you know you know, we always tried to get off, you know, government assistance and, and, you know, we we're just trying really, really hard all the time. But I remember standing in line, I was seven months pregnant with baby number four. And I had gone to the HEB at the wrong day. Like, so your government assistance, your food stamps, your WIC, WIC comes like on the first and food, my food stamps because of my last name came on the sixth. But like, I was at the wrong day for both of them, I guess. I don't yeah. know how, I, maybe, uh, yeah. So I, it was on the wrong day and I couldn't get either of them. Um, and I stood in line and I had been, you know, when, when you're pregnant, I was seven months pregnant. I had three kids and I'm going through the grocery store, picking out all the items for, you know, an hour and a half because you're dealing with meltdowns and tantrums and you're putting stuff in the, and then to get to the checkout line and not have the ability to take any of this food that you've, you know, spent a lot of time picking out mm -hmm. and I stood in the grocery line and the lady looks at me and she says, don't you and your husband have jobs? And I just thought, I, that's it. I, and I just, I mean, just 
bawling and I'm just like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so, you know, ashamed. I, I, and the fact that she said it is just horrible. I know. And I know she shouldn't have said it. She was, you know, she wasn't super young, but she was young enough that was like, you know, I, and maybe she was truly curious, but I'm like, not only do we both have jobs, we have college degrees. Like we are, there's, you know, there's no reason we shouldn't have enough money to pay for this. And so it was just, it was just so, it was a, a really bad point and a really low point in our marriage. And um, then at some point we did continue to kind of my husband, he's a videographer. I was a graphic designer, web designer. Um, but when you're having so many kids at some point, daycare costs more than, you know, what your, what your salary is. Yeah. And so, um, I came home and he was working and then at some point he kind of like, you know, got to a place where, um, we were able to breathe ish and, um, that's kind of, um, and you know, and I, at that point when I was at home, I was blogging and doing all this stuff and I had kind of turned off that blog. And then I, um, started selling or picking up furniture to pay. We had accumulated some debt from going on a vacation. I started picking up furniture on the side of the road and started paying off this debt that we had accumulated. And within six months, we paid it all off. Just picking up stair light containers, igloo coolers, you know, the occasional bike, you know, a lot of people put like those fake trees on the side of the road. And I would just sell them 20 bucks or something like that. And just slowly started, you know, etching away at that debt. And it was around then I realized, wow, we could like, this is really like, we could do this. And um, then my husband had been hired at a job that was like really looking like positive, like this is it. Like we're going to make, we're going to be finally out of a place where we can really just do what we've been wanting to do the whole time was pay our own way. And then the pandemic happened. Oh, and, gosh. um, but little did I know it was a blessing in disguise because as I'm picking up furniture on the side of the road and really saving things from the landfill, because sometimes I was going right before a trash truck came and I started like when everybody was feeling the financial insecurity, job insecurity during COVID, that was when we were just like making tons of money because people were redoing their houses. There was no goodwill open to donate your stuff. So they throw it on the side of the road. People were all in their houses, so they didn't see it. And then I was just taking it and staging it on, you know, a small wall next to my front door. And then I was like cleaning it up and putting it on my porch for contactless pickup. Venmo took off. Facebook Marketplace was a big thing. You know, at that point, it was starting to be even more of a big thing than it is now and or, or than it was. And um, it just it, that whole situation kind of changed our financial trajectory. And so after COVID happened, we decided to kind of pivot into vintage furniture. And now we started a e-commerce in 2022. We opened up an e-commerce store online called curbvulture.com. And within the first year of e-commerce, we cleared $100,000 of sales. Oh my so gosh. So we are like in a whole different, like, you know, all of the things that I've gone through to say, like, we are just in a whole different place. And, let me, you know, let God me ask you something. Um, I'm, I, and I hope you don't take offense to this at all, but I do want to no, ask you because I'm thinking back to your story of the checking out of the grocery store. People do tend to 
make assumptions, right? In general, like you never know what somebody's going through in their life to make them behave a certain way, act a certain way. When you were in that line and you said at the time you had four kids, am I wrong on that? I was pregnant with the fourth baby. You were pregnant. Okay. So were people like, like, why are why do you keep having babies? Like, why do you keep, like, I'm just wondering, like, because people can be yeah, so. I mean, so, no, I'm not offended at all. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Not offended at all. If, if they thought it, they never said it. Okay. But I was thinking it, you know, like we didn't plan to have as many kids as we did. Yeah. I mean, we actually prevented, we were trying to prevent actively. And so we were just like, well. I mean, this is, here we go again. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they may have not, somebody, I mean, people may have thought it, but I definitely thought it. Like if we could just not be pregnant again, like we, maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. This is our, I mean, there's so many times, like I did this, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? That was ugh, so stupid. I, I, you know, if I would just be smarter with my money, if I would just save more, if I had, you know, but it's, it, 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 there's so much that goes into like a, a poverty mindset that we, me and my husband together were fighting, not actually fighting, but like combating his mentality towards money and my mentality, my, my knowledge that like saving and spending. And, and I mean, I had a budget when I was, you know, single that I was very strict with. I didn't have any debt, but I walked into a marriage that had debt and had student loans. And, you know, it was, me trying to figure out, you know, him feeling ashamed for it and him um, kind of sticking his head in the sand when it came to money and me having to be like, come on, like, we got to do this together. Um, he was the first to graduate college in his family. His dad was a heroin addict, died of uh, hepatitis C. So like his whole background was so much different than my background. And so I just had, I had a lot of grace for him, but it was also like when you're on the outside looking in, you're like, well, why would you just not do X, Y, Z? Um, and it was like, I, we did, we did X, Y, Z. And it just, it wasn't enough because there were some mentalities and emotional hangups that we had to get through. And my and husband- also you're like, entitled, right you're entitled to your beliefs and, you know, my, my mother and father also believed in back, this is back in the day in the rhythm method and my mom- sadly lost multiple children. I would be technically one of eight. And, um, and I did lose a sister as a little girl. So, um, but their, their situation was different. Like my father was an orthodontist. They had the means and, you know, thankfully in my life, I've never had to worry to that extent about money. Um, but I had to ask that because I, I'm trying to listen as a listener myself. And I think yeah, it's important absolutely. if my listeners are sitting here listening to this and going, well, what, like, why didn't that happen? Or why didn't this is your, we're all given the ability to make our own decisions in life. And we all need to respect right. each other's, what each other thinks is right to do in life. So some people believe. Yeah, our, I mean, and it's, it's yeah. never a straight line. I mean, no. If I had, I mean, we weren't we weren't using a rhythm method. We were using tried and true. Yeah. Preventative measures. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, I had the thought, like, well, I mean, if I didn't homeschool, I could go get a job and, and I could make more money. Like, there was so much, and, and then you know, so then you're compounding that, like, now my decision 
that I feel like, you know, I is a, is what I believe in is I feel ashamed of my own decision. And so it's just, you know, trying to, you know, work through that and being like, this is just like, we're all trying to do the best we know how yeah. and not all of us given the same tools that other people have been given. And so uh, right before, it's funny because, I mean, it literally happened within months of each other. Right before we really started taking off with the vintage furniture business, my husband had this deep revelation that he, that, that took away the shame of how he had been raised and his, the way he viewed money um, because he just basically thought, well, like we're just destined to be poor. And he, it just, there was like a moment where he just, his mindset changed and he said, that's not true. Like God will take care of us. We, we are, we will be allowed all the things that are meant for us will come to us and being okay. And just, and I really think that there was some sort of spiritual barrier that needed to be broken in order to get to the other side. And I don't think people talk about that a lot. I think they think, oh, well, if you just do the right things, A plus B equals C, without, you know, when it's like a physical manifestation of only physical manifestation of, 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 of action, instead of realizing there's this and there's this that all have to align and for the things to happen in the way that they're supposed to happen. A hundred percent. I believe in manifesting everything on a daily basis. I mean, I'm an example of somebody that worked in corporate America for 15 years of my life, left in COVID and started started over in my 40s, you know, and and I think we all have the ability. It's the best time to start over. In yeah, your 40s. Your 40s the best time to start over. That's just when it starts. Every, everything starts, right? But um, I, ha I really find it's so important, even if we don't believe, like, like believe in the same things in life, right? I think it's so important to respect what people go through in life and not be so judgmental of others, you know? I mean, this is yeah. your life. We're all given, Elaine was given a life as a little girl and she's had really hard things she's had to go through. And then look at what you've done. I mean, that is pretty freaking fantastic to be somebody that's like, I'm going to like pull over on the side of the road with my seven kids in the car or however, wherever they're spread out. And I'm going to go get a piece of furniture. I'm going to redo the furniture and then I'm going to sell it. I mean, do you ever really yeah. honestly think to yourself like, wow, I'm kind of a badass. I hope you do. <laughs> I hope you think that about yourself. Uh my daughter is like, you're so cool. And it's like, you know, just realizing that you're given one life, mm -hmm. like just live it, like be all the things you want to be. And it's, and it's hard. I mean, there's no part in my brain that turns off that says you're stupid. You don't know how to do anything. You're such a poser. Like I have to constantly push past that mm -hmm. and just know like, like no one knows that you're, that you don't know, like just, just fake keep it, going. Fake it till you uh, make it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're all, I mean, we've all, this is like my, my, you know, there's always like the first child you're so, you know, that your guinea pig child, like your whole life is a guinea pig life. Like every moment that's new is new to you. And it's like, we're all just trying to figure it out here. And so I totally agree. Like honoring the fact that somebody has made decisions for their life based on what they know and what tools they've been given and being really careful to, you know, if, I mean, if, we think that they're in a place where they shouldn't be, like if they're doing drugs or doing something like that, 
being like realizing those are coping mechanisms. Let's make sure that we are not attacking the coping because there's something deeper that needs to be addressed if there's if they're doing something that's harmful for them. And so, but always knowing that like just always coming at everybody and everything without any judgment and and, and just knowing that we're we're all here trying to help each other and and see blind spots that we all don't have um, but always just being so careful to honor the fact that they've all been through stuff and that's the reason why they're making the decisions they're making. It is so true. I, I I have a good friend that I actually had on the podcast and I met her randomly through Nextdoor, believe it or not. And she posted this thing about her brother, Ryan, who was bipolar and homeless. And I really, before I met Maeve, I never really kind of understood the homeless crisis. It just bothered me. I was really offended by the fact, and I'm honest about this, that these people are on the street sitting in their own stool, you know, not wanting to get off the streets. We li- I live in Los Angeles. It, the, the crisis is growing by the day. But then you never really take yourself out of the picture to go, well, this is somebody's son. This is somebody's daughter. This is somebody's brother. This is somebody's sister. What happened to them to get them to the point that they choose, instead of going to a warm bed because the, uh, many of them have that option or not many but some to sit out in the streets and choose drugs over going into a place where they might have a bed for the night that's called yeah. living in in hell it's called like mental illness it's called drug addiction it's called all the things that it is but we always have to remember and I have to remind myself of this constantly that we are all here just trying to get through life and we're human. And no matter how much money you have or what you have in this life, it doesn't matter if you're a piece of poo and you're not a kind person. And I was not going to say poo. I was going to say something worse than that. And I didn't say it. So there you go, Elaine. Um, I want I want to ask you for the sake of time, because I could talk to you for a really long time. What, so now you're, you have this business. P.S. You remind me of Blake Lively. I don't know. Head over to YouTube, everybody. All of my five people that actually watch on YouTube. Um, What do people, like, do people tell you you look like Blake Lively or is that's just a side note. I have ADD. I, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I'm sure I she's a, she's married like, to oh, Ryan yeah. Reynolds. She, Elaine's very pretty, ladies okay. and gentlemen. And if you do go on YouTube and watch this, just know that I am not looking my best. I'm going to say that I did not put on makeup, but Elaine did. <laughs> um, but I want to well, know. I, I, I want to know, like, yeah, where it, you are today. I want to know you're running for Mrs. Texas. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, that's a long story. But I want to I want to uh, say I actually posted a, a TikTok or an Instagram reel where I'm like, it's like a transition where you do the makeup. And I like my kids are like, you look like Jeffrey Dahmer. At the beginning. <laughs> like, I look like I look like Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, what is like you had to look the saddest you did. And then I'm like, and then it's like, you know, oh, Mrs., I think I you know, saw like, this because I just started following you on Instagram. Did you post it on Instagram, too? I did post it on Instagram yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. So yeah. So it's like 
it is amazing what what paint can do to you. Thank God we're women and we can have the ability. Well, some men use the paint too, but I do agree. Absolutely. We're very lucky yeah. that we can go out and red lipstick makes a huge difference in life. If you can wear red lipstick, uh, it does, right? right? Yeah, I can tell you. Just okay, so let me, some lipstick. Yeah, we're, we're... let me hear about Mrs. Texas because that is a whole separate thing and so cool, by the way. Yeah, so yeah, it. I, I was, I'm a, you know, ex roller derby girl and, you know, as you know, like heroin, ex heroin addict. Um, so, being in a pageant isn't really something that I was like, it was on my radar. Um, and I, some things had happened. I had been blogging and speaking and writing and doing all these things, but after right before 2020, I kind of cut that off because it just wasn't, um, it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't making enough money, honestly. And I, um, kind of laid that down. And so I, there's some things happened that made me think, Oh, well, like maybe, maybe I'll get back into speaking again. And um, I went to a women's conference and Mrs. America was speaking at, not the current Mrs., uh, not the current title holder, but like uh, maybe in the 90s she won or something. Sweet little testimony. She's talking about how like, you know, God showed her that he wanted her to run and like she paid for her, you know, first her, her bachelor's and then she ran and she won like Mrs. Georgia and then she ran again and she ran um, as you know Mrs. Georgia in the Mrs. America contest and she paid for the rest of her grad school through that and I was like um, but what struck me was that she said I wanted to share my message with the world and when I won this title people started, I started going to school groups and talking as Miss America at an in, in auditorium. She's like, I was able to share my faith. You're not allowed to share your faith unless you're in a school auditorium as Mrs. America. And I was like, oh, I kind of like that idea, like that I can just share my story and my testimony of redemption. And so that the kids in you know high school or whatever don't get into what I got into. If mm-hmm. it could change one life, that's enough. And you know, I got on the website. It was kind of like an older website, so it wasn't really working on my phone. And a week later, I went to a completely unrelated conference, and Mrs. Universe was speaking. And I thought, that's weird. Like, and she said the same thing. She works with um, women who were in the foster care system and um, are now out, and they help, like, she, you know, try to transition the women so they can be moms, the good moms they want to be because they didn't have those examples. So she kind of helps them work through some of their trauma and stuff like that um, so they can be better moms. And, but she said the same thing. She said, I was saying all this stuff before I won the Mrs. Universe, uh, Mrs. Universe title. She said, but when I won this title, people started listening. They started asking me on podcasts. They started asking me to show up at events and talk. And so now she can do what she's always wanted to do, which was to facilitate people who've been in the foster care system to be better moms and be better parents. But now she can do it on a grand scale. Mm-hmm. And so that's what really like led me to this place. Like I was like, I mean, you know, I mean, it's nice to be like, it's a, it's a pageant. It's about beauty and stuff like that. But it's like, there's so much more. It's like, I want to make an impact with my story and I want people to be set free and know that freedom is possible. And the only way, you know, the the better way you can do it is if you reach more people and you're talking to a bigger audience and, you know, what's, what's the, what's a fat, I'm always about efficiency. What's the fast track? You know, if I, if I make it to Mrs. Texas, if I run for Mrs. Texas and I win, and then I go on to Mrs. America, 
you know, that's the fast track. That's, that's the way to get people to listen. Um, and so that's why I signed up and I just, I want to encourage women, um, and, 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 you know, everybody to just live the life that they were supposed to have. Because I think that there's so many people that are, you know, their own insecurity and everything is holding them back. And, um, we have just, I mean, everybody was created on purpose for a purpose. And so that, uh, that's why I, I decided to run and I got, um, I'm one of 50 in the Texas air of Texas women that was chosen to run. And so I got the message, um, uh, about a month ago that I was, I was chosen and then I got my sash in. So now I've got to go do like media appearances and take photos of my, you know, doing, doing things, uh, and hire a pageant coach and, and do all these things that I did not know was a uh, part of it. I've never done this before. And I talked to a pageant coach and I was like, I don't think I would have signed up had I known what No, what I'm like so excited for this. And P.S. I need to tell you, I'm running for Mrs. California. I'm joking. I'm not. Um, can you imagine? <laughs> like I would be the hot, I would come in last. I would be in last place because I would not be able to do any of the things. But um, on a serious note, I love that you are saying all the things that you're saying because it is so true. Like, you have this story and you have the ability to be such a, I watched a brief piece of a speech you did and then to use these tools and to listen to the signs. Like there aren't really no, that the here is meeting the Mrs. What, whatever she was, Mrs. Universe and then Mrs. The other state within the same Mrs. America, yeah. Mrs. America within the same amount. That's, that's not just a coincidence. Like there's a reason you're supposed right. to be doing this. So when is the actual pageant? So the pageant is April 28th, 29th and 30th. And um, so it's coming up probably sooner than I would like. Um, and then I'm right now I'm gathering sponsors and I'm uh, trying to uh, figure out what to do and uh, walk in really, really high heels. Oh I was told God, that I if you walk in really, wait. really high heels, it actually creates a better center of gravity. So, and I'm five, three, so I will be walk, walking in five inch heels. You better already. start like walking in high heels all around your neighborhood with your seven kids. Like that's your assignment. For I know. Me. Um, I, I, <laughs> with I, my I now prefer a, um, a cozy, like low heeled shoe in my, in my old age, but I oh, yeah. cannot wait to cheer you on. That is so cool and so fantastic. And what if my if my audience hasn't learned anything today, it really is proof that you can be in life in the lowest place and feel like all of the cards are stacked against you. And my whole message for doing these episodes every week is to go on and to introduce you to people like Elaine. She's the epitome of like the guests that I look for where all these cards are stacked against you and you don't give up and you keep going and you matter and Elaine you matter and you're awesome and I can't wait to, to be like I knew I know Mrs. Texas she is amazing and I'm going to be rooting for, for you all the way from California um, in closing yeah, I appreciate it I, am, I mean I'm so excited to meet everybody on a podcast that I talk to because as a blogger, as an ex-blogger, somebody who was like, like, I know how hard it is to do what you're doing. 
and to start over at 40, like that is commendable in itself and so amazing that you're living what, how you were created. And that's, I mean, it's just, it's a testament to how trauma and all those bad things that happen in our life can push, you know, it's beauty out of ashes. A hundred percent. I love beauty out of ashes. That's my new term. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. In closing, everyone. Thank you, Elaine. It was so nice to meet you. Like I was dragging this morning and when I get to be able to have the opportunity to like interview and meet people like you it gives me and my life purpose and I truly think that way and I I feel very very fortunate and lucky to be able to do what I do uh in closing be happy by making other people happy everyone judging Megan with Megan Judge our family has grown Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.